If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you bow your heads with me? On this Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Holy One. But we've been talking about protests like that one since February, when the legislative session started in Oklahoma. Earlier this month, but after a summer of Black Lives Matter demonstrations, one party in the Oklahoma House of Representatives voted to grant immunity to drivers who run over protesters Would the law still apply if someone were to run over Jesus? After all, he was leading a demonstration, blocking traffic while protesting oppression and violence. But those legislators would be careful to swerve around Jesus, right? I mean, only the other brown people would be at risk for blocking traffic while protesting oppression and violence. Forgive us, Holy One, for our laws reflect our theology, and it isn't pretty. We pray in the name of Jesus, our teacher and parade marshal. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 38. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near to Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this. The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, 
the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The text doesn't say it, but scholars and historians think that there were actually two processions a few thousand years ago on this day, which we now refer to as Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. As theologians Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan explain, on one side of the city from the west, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, entered Jerusalem at the head of a column of imperial cavalry, cavalry and soldiers. Pilate's procession displayed not only imperial power, but also Roman imperial theology. According to this theology, the emperor was not simply the ruler of Rome, but the son of God. For Rome's Jewish subjects, Pilate's procession embodied not only a rival social order, but also a rival theology. Though unfamiliar to most people today, the imperial procession was well known in Jesus' homeland in the first century. It was the standard practice of Roman governors of Judea to be in Jerusalem for the major Jewish festivals. They did so not out of empathetic reverence for the religious devotion of their Jewish subjects, but to be in the city in case there was trouble. There often was, especially at Passover, a festival that celebrated the Jewish people's liberation from an earlier empire. The mission of the troops with Pilate was to reinforce the Roman garrison permanently stationed in the fortress Antonia, overlooking the Jewish temple and its courts. Imagine the imperial procession's arrival in the city, a visual panoply of imperial power, cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold. Add to that the sounds of the marching of feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums. There would have also been the swirling of dust with so much marching, the eyes of silent onlookers, some curious, some awed, some resentful. But that year, something else happened. There was a second procession, and it was on the opposite side of the city. This is the one we read about in the text, the Jesus Parade, or perhaps more aptly titled, the Jesus Protest. From the east, Borg and Crossan continue, Jesus rode a colt down the Mount of Olives, cheered by his followers. Jesus was from the peasant village of Nazareth. His message was about the kingdom of God, and his followers came from the peasant class. Jesus' procession proclaimed the kingdom of God was here. And from what the story tells us, this was a prearranged counter procession. Jesus planned it in advance. This is 
why he goes, he tells his, two of his disciples to go to the next village and get him a colt they will find there. They do so, and Jesus rides the colt down the Mount of Olives to the city, surrounded by a crowd of enthusiastic followers and sympathizers who spread their cloaks and put leafy branches on the road and shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The meaning of the demonstration was clear, for it used symbolism from the prophet Zechariah in the ninth chapter, when he proclaimed a king would be coming to Jerusalem, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The rest of the Zechariah passage details what kind of king he would be. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. It is obvious to scholars and historians that Jesus' procession deliberately countered what was happening on the other side of the city. If Pilate's procession embodied the power, glory, and violence of the empire that ruled the world, Jesus' procession embodied an alternative vision, the kingdom of God. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. This was a non-violent direct action demonstration. Does that sound right to you? Does it sound right that our faith was born out of protest? I mean, who would believe that our tradition was founded by someone who didn't get a permit from the city to stage his protest? If modern Christianity was the only thing one had to go on, that claim seems laughable, unbelievable, far-fetched. I mean, think about the ways domesticated versions of Christianity teach us that there's a right way and a wrong way to make your voice heard. We are familiar with the language of the open letter to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., written by eight Alabama clergymen who were largely sympathetic to ending segregation, but wanted King and others to pursue it gradually through the courts, not public demonstrations, which they said were unwise and untimely and led in part by outsiders. This attitude persists today. As Reverend Candace Simpson reminds us, every Martin Luther King Jr. Day, centrists and conservatives find ways to dilute his message. His avatar is repeatedly disembodied from his clear words, but he and countless others engage in protest tactics that were not ever highly respected. Decades after MLK, several HIV AIDS activists disrupted both outside and inside St. Patrick's Cathedral to bring attention to John Cardinal O'Connor's statements on sexuality and AIDS. Inside the larger-than-life cathedral, activists chained themselves to pews, shouted, and engaged in a die-in protest. The mayor at the time, Ed Koch, said, if you don't like the church, go out and find one you like or start your own. 
Rather than hearing the heart of this protest, religious officials and political leaders predictably flipped the issue back on the people. And we are all too well aware of how the perfectly silent, peaceful actions of black athletes protesting peace brutality has inspired some of the most incendiary vitriol and invective ever heard. White America does not want to be called out for white supremacy and racism, especially not in the sanctuaries of its sports arenas. More pointedly about the church, Reverend Dr. Eric Mason laments in his book, Woke Church, that the church didn't create and lead the Black Lives Matter movement. In the eyes of many, he says, Black Lives Matter has become the voice of black dignity. Black Lives Matter is an ideological and political intervention in a world where black lives are systematically and intentionally targeted for demise. It is an affirmation of black folks' humanity, our contributions to this society, and our resilience in the face of deadly oppression. Black Lives Matter helped propel the conversation around the state-sanctioned violence they experience. Pastor Mason continues, the reason I lament this is because the church should have been the leader of this movement. Christians of all ethnicities should have entered their pulpits and gone to war in the fight for black lives, both in these instances and historically. We should have been quoting Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Woe to those enacting crooked statutes and writing oppressive laws to keep the poor from getting a fair trial and to deprive the needy among my people of justice so that widows can be their spoil and they can plunder the fatherless. What will you do on the day of punishment when devastation comes from far away? Who will you run to for help? Where will you leave your wealth? Our voices should have been lifted in unison against assaults on black life. Black pastors, white pastors, Asians, Latinos, all should have spoken out. We should have hit the streets together, ringing out against these injustices. Instead, we argued and minimized these events. Instead, we wondered if this was the best way to protest. Instead, we said, it's a shame black people are being killed, but damage to property really has got to stop, as if plate glass is more important than people. You may be thinking that Jesus' procession was not comparable to the protests of the Civil Rights Movement or Black Lives Matter, but maybe it's time to use some holy imagination, church. The story is about putting pressure on the authorities offering a different way of organizing the community, overturning the hierarchy, redistributing wealth, and empowering the marginalized. That's our story. And the people in our story, they were definitely blocking traffic. They were definitely obstructing the sidewalks. And the text really does tell us that the disciples actually took someone's property at Jesus' direction and there is no evidence that it was returned, which we usually call stealing. If the Jesus parade had happened here 
Oklahoma County District Attorney David Prater might have charged them with terrorism, just like he did three Black Lives Matter protesters from last summer's demonstrations. This may be an uncomfortable characterization for some Christians for a couple of reasons. One, it may be that it is unsettling for white Christians to really see Jesus as a dark-skinned community organizer. Or it may be that we know we are not getting into the kind of trouble that is good and necessary, as the Honorable John Lewis would say. God rest his soul. You know, the kind of trouble that Jesus got into. The text reminds us that the church should be the counter protest, not resting under the banner of empire or misunderstanding that we are simply caretakers of a delicate, fragile faith. Our tradition has dirt under its fingernails. If only we would take our stories seriously. We come from a long line of faithful protesters, church. Let's start acting like it. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.